when you bring in diverse leaders, you get an opportunity to tap into their diverse networks. And that's how you bring more diverse candidates into a company. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Hope everybody is doing great. Give me a like or thumbs up so I know you can hear me. I guess sometimes, honestly, I have no idea if I'm live or not um, until somebody says, oh, you're live or we can't hear you or whatever that is. Um, and thankfully, we're going through the StreamYard platform on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, and Twitter. So it's pretty good. And hopefully, you also like the timer. I literally stole it from Google to, to get that thing going. So I'm literally testing that. So with that being said, thank you for everyone who joined in yesterday on the conversation with Nikki. Um, and this whole series is about passing the mic. Um, as, uh, as I shared um, I got called out for all the right reasons around trying to talk about something that I don't have history on and needed to learn. And as a co-founder, as someone who happens to have the mic, uh, I think I didn't use it the best way. So the best thing I could do uh, based on recommendations from amazing friends, uh, and one of them I like to call a great friend now uh, is Tanisha, is, is learning like, okay, I need to, if I don't know how to use the mic, then I need to pass the mic. It's a big lesson for me to learn. And after we're doing, we're highlighting meaningful, incredible stories of courage and power and love and grace uh, in the African-American community. And that starts with, uh, uh, with the folks that have already been on the show and the folks that are actually in, uh, in a company that I co-founded. So with that, let's welcome Tanisha. Tanisha, how are you doing? I'm good, Sangram. How are you? I am good. I'm so grateful for you taking the time and being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Thanks for extending and sharing your mic as you have graciously done so. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think uh, that is the, one of the biggest lessons I learned is like, you know, if you don't know how to hold the mic, you need to pass the mic. Like that's going to be my my slogan <laughs> with, as, as we did. And I want to introduce you, and, but I want to start with, uh, with an opening statement I did uh, yesterday with Nikki. And I feel like it's important for me to do that so people get to know because these are not standard interviews or conversations. These are deep conversations. These are things that uh, people have to understand with a lot of open mind and heart and, and just an ear to listen. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate everybody else. Like a lot of people who literally signed up and said, we're going to listen to the entire series uh, coming in with you and then Morgan tomorrow. And then uh, and uh, some, you know, Reggie Rivers, who has been an NFL player after that. And, and, and then also Kwame, who is the CEO of uh, big brothers and big sisters. So I'm hoping that these are all conversations that help us just have a 360 view of what's going on in the society. So here's my opening statement, and then I'm going to introduce you and we go there. The first sentence is obvious, which is I'm neither black nor white. So I don't want to pretend to be one. And I, I did that uh, last week and I didn't want to do that any longer. I don't pretend to fully and or even partially comprehend what it means to be an African-American, but I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a community builder. Those are the things that, that I really enjoy and relish about myself. So I believe it is my duty to understand what is going on right now and why. It is my duty to learn where my bias lies because there are biases that we all have subconsciously. So it is my duty to not be intentional and learn where my bias lies and how to overcome it. It is my duty to be part of the solution, which is why I'm passing the mic because I don't know how to hold this mic for this specific series, to be perfectly honest, and bring hope to the world where the three things that I hold dear and a lot of people hold, almost everybody want to hold dear to their hearts, which is to have trust in what's going on around, to be feeling safe in the environment at work and even outside on the streets and just care about each other at a deeper human level. I hope that these become the common values for everyone. So finally, I believe it is my duty to allow myself to learn grow and to tell a different story of unity, love, and grace, not race to our children and grandchildren. 
that's my opening statement as we get into it. So everybody recognizes that this is a full on passing the mic to you. So Tanisha, again, um, you work at Terminus. Uh, you are a director of uh, digital market, uh, digital strategy for us. Uh, you have been an AT&T. You have had a very successful career. And we're going to talk about that. But I want you to share a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, your story. And then we'll get into like how things are different at work for you and how can they be different for the next generation of the people who are going to look up to you and say, oh, my God, I want to be like Tanisha. I want to know what to do as I get into the workforce as a younger generation or some of your peers. So I'll pass the mic to you and let you take it out. Thank you. Well, that was beautifully stated with your opening statement. And I appreciate you extending your mic to share with other voices that uh, have, you know, historically have kind of gone unheard. So I think it's important and I admire you for willing to share your mic. So thanks for having me here today. Thank you. And so like in terms of uh, my background or my upbringing, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. My parents uh, at some point later moved to a, a suburb, a city called Southfield, Michigan. And uh, growing up, I, I grew up in a middle class home. My father was an entrepreneur. My mother's in corporate America. And it would seem like a normal childhood to me. My, my parents would probably say I was very strong willed uh, growing up. And um, I was I was the person who just like always knew what they wanted and was resilient about getting it. And that's a trade I've had since I was, you know, a, a child. But uh, growing up in, in terms of like education, I uh, up until I was about 11 or to like the seventh grade, I went to predominantly black schools. And uh, when I reached the seventh grade, my parents switched school districts and that was like my first encounter with like being a minority, like in a school system. And I was one of three blacks in an entire school. And and that was the first time that I've ever like encountered racism. And at 11 years old, you don't really know like how to identify it or you can't really associate a name with it. And uh, it's just it, it's just kind of your normal and uh, what you're you know, you just have to learn how to kind of navigate through. And uh, going up through those challenges, it was uh, it was not, you know, uncommon for me to be bullied or for people to say things about my physical features that were very different from theirs. And it, it honestly gave me a little tougher skin to, you know, deal with challenges as I got older. And uh, from there, I throughout high school, I was a student athlete. I ran track. And I don't know if you know this, Ingram, but uh, I was an All-American hurdler. When I was wow. when I graduated from high school, I was the third fastest hurdler in the country. Oh, and my so, God. That is awesome. And, and you know, as you're telling that story, and I shared that yesterday with Nikki, too, that and I know you're getting going to get into more of the, the tougher part of your story in a, in a minute. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the greatest um, loss that I felt that I had in, and I'm glad now I'm, I'm recovering from that is that not knowing the person's, the entire person, the whole person, and that there's a story behind everyone and not taking the time to let people share their stories because that's what makes us more bond and understand each other at a much deeper level. So as a co-founder, I feel like I missed that. And, and you, you and I, when we had the call, you shared with me like, well, Sam, I don't even know if I should share this with you and all these things that you've shared some things that you said, I've never shared with anybody. I'm like, what a great mess. What a great mess on my part that, that in my own, like in a company that I co-founded that this is, if that's what's happening here, then what could happen somewhere else? And that's, and this goes beyond race. This goes beyond the understanding yeah, of like at a people level why are we not letting people bring their whole self to work? We say it, but we really don't apply it. So I'll, again, pass the mic back to you, but I wanted to recognize that that is a shortcoming and a big lesson for me personally. Yeah, well, I've, I mean, you know, the important thing is, is that, you know, we can choose to harbor on the past or we can start from where we are, you know, and just like being an athlete. And like I said, I was a, a track and field athlete when you're at that, when you're at the line and, you know, when that gun goes off, you just, you want everyone to start from the same position. 
You mm-hmm. want to make sure that there are no additional hurdles in your lane, that you know someone isn't starting from a different line than where you are. And so for me, that's just the concept that really just has have really resonated, you know, and kind of evolved with me as I've, you know, grown and matured is that, you know, we can always just, we can start from where we are. And so that's what I'm going to choose to, yeah. you know, that's the perspective I'm going to have going into our relationship moving forward. And so I thank you at least for admitting that, but I just want to let you know, like, we're, we'll just move forward from here. Yeah. I love, love you said, started the same, at the same line. And if everybody can do that, that's great. So tell, tell more about what, you know, your, your upbringing as a, as a child that, you know, and, and, and things that happened along the way. Sure. So like I said, growing up, the, the women that, you know, were instrumental in raising me, I had, you know, a strong mother who led by example and, you know, as a maverick within her family, uh, going to college and, and earning a four-year degree. And uh, it taught me the importance of education at an early age. And uh, the women before her, you know, were very instrumental, but they had much different paths. So one of my grandmothers was a maid for, you know, Jewish families her entire life. My, my other grandmother, uh, she was a housewife. And she literally like picked cotton when she was younger. And neither one of my grandmothers even went to high school. Like they both had middle school educations. And so when you think about like the upbringing and kind of just the differences in backgrounds that, you know, many people have within the workplace or wherever, uh, you just, you never know like the, uh, what someone has gone through and, so for me, while I didn't experience, I guess, such hardships, I've, I've learned from those women and their values and their strength and the love that they poured out. And although they didn't have much, like they gave you love, they gave you support, they gave you encouragement. And, you know, you may go over there and, and maybe there were more soft skills that I learned, like how to cook or how to clean. And they didn't have much, but they gave you what they had. And that's something that I'm really proud about in terms of my heritage and where I come from is just like the pride in the sense of, you know, wealth that we have as a culture. I think that that's something that money can't buy and I wouldn't trade that for anything, to be honest. Yeah. Now you also talked about, and we we discussed like what, what are some of the things that the whole George Floyd situation, how did that, what did that mean to you? How did you process it? Where are you with that situation emotionally? And then we definitely want to get into like, well, how is this happening at work that maybe not been talked about that you now are open to talk about? And, and then we will get into like, well, how can it be addressed? Because that's really where we all want to go. I know that's where your heart is. It's like, all right, let's, let's, learn from this and move. And here are tactical, practical recommendations that you can offer and tell people to around, around this listening. And a lot of people, that's one of the big things that they want to is like, they want to understand, but they also want to do something. And some people are like just pallet, they don't know what to do. So let's just start with like the, the situation with George Floyd, what that meant to you as a person and how did you emotionally process that? Absolutely. So last week, honestly, it was a tough week going into the week. I just, I I didn't know how I was going to get through that week, just leading in from the weekend and going into Monday. Um, You know, George Floyd is in, and the, the way in which his life was taken from us, it resonated so deeply. Like after watching that video over and over again, like it's like you couldn't help but just get consumed to try to understand like how or why that happened. And to hear him call out for his mother, you know, as, as he was dying, I feel like that summoned, you know, all black mothers, it summoned black fathers and it summoned people who George Floyd, they, they could have seen him as a friend or, you know, as a neighbor. And I think it's important to understand that, like, with the way in which his life was taken from him, you know, I, I ironically, I had a conversation with a coworker who was telling me, like, I don't know why I feel so connected to this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think about you and I think about your son. And, and of course, um, you know, this is coming from someone who is, you know, outside of the black community. 
and, you know, now feeling kind of a connection here. And he couldn't understand it, but I kind of knew why. And I kind of helped him understand that. It's because like historically you haven't had conversation, many conversations with black people or people outside of your race. And so when I see George Floyd, I see George Floyd could have been my father or he could have been my brother or my son or my son's father. And so for me, like he, that was real to me. It was almost real to me in a sense because most black men that I know have been arrested or profiled in some kind of way. And they could have been inches within their lives when we have, you know, law enforcement who are there who are supposed to be there to protect us, right? But there's this anxiety that you have because historically they haven't been there to protect you. And they've, you know, brutalized people within your race at a much higher rate than any other. It's unfair, it's unjust. And the fact that there's this awakening moment now, like I don't want George Floyd, his memory, or, you know, the all of the, you know, protests and the, the movement that has kind of come along with this, I don't want it to be Black history. Like, I want it to be American history. Mm. Because being Black, I'm no less American than you are. So when you're growing up and you're in school and you have to wait to February to hear stories about, you know, your people and hear stories about, you know, uh, that help you understand who you are, why is there a label to it? Why is it not a part? Why is it not just American history? Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to like really, you know, internalize this to to check our own selves and to, you know, pulse check ourselves to say like, why did this happen? Like, why was this okay for someone? Yeah. And, you, and I love that you mentioned, what about that? My pen fell down. Here you go. Is... I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that this is this is not a black history conversation. This is an American history. And I think I hope that resonates as much as with me with, with a lot of people because I think it might further people might further get like, wait a minute, I wasn't even because there are a lot of people that I do know who are not thinking about race as as the newer generations are coming in and all of a sudden they are not thinking about race because they never thought about it. And mm-hmm. And you're like, well, no, these are the conversations we had in our living rooms all life. And we're, we're struggling through it and working through it. And I'm glad you're not understanding it. But these are the conversations we always had. And it is an American history conversation that needs to change and be addressed. You also mentioned as part of your um, struggle and, and something because you had a really great professional career. And if you want to just if you want to just share kind of the jobs that you had so far and what, you know how you got there. Uh, that that'd be fantastic and then add to that is like during that process what are the things that you have experienced that probably went unheard or unnoticed by everybody else around you except you and how you dealt with that so we can now start talking about how are we going to go and move and be aware of those things and address those Absolutely. So, you know, like I, I've had, you know, a fair amount of success in the workplace and, you know, um, even working for Terminus, you know, I'm very proud to work for a company and, and I'm not saying that Terminus is perfect, right? I, I feel no. like we right. still have some work to do internally, just being transparent. And I just, I appreciate like, and, and for me, it's very important, uh, going into a workplace to not just be driven by money or title. Uh, I think it's important to like attach yourself to a purpose. And for me, like that purpose is clear. I know that for, you know, little black and brown girls growing up, you know, family members who tell me like I'm their role model, like I'm so humbled that they would even view me in that light. And so for me, it's a greater responsibility to make sure that as a leader, within my company, within my community, that I have a higher responsibility to lead by example and to lead with values and to lead with character and make sure that, you know, the more that I work my my way up the ladder, the more successful I become, the more that, you know, as I rise, I can lift and I can reach back and help others uh, you know, pursue their careers and pursue their dreams. And and not to just to say that like, oh, I'm going to mentor and reach out to just, you know, black or brown girls or, 
or just people within my race know, I believe that, uh, you know, in terms of talent and in terms of like the future leaders, that that pool has to be diverse. And so just the same way that I'm willing to, you know, mentor and and to help, you know, someone within my community, I'm also willing to do that for people who don't look like me because that's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, challenges that I've faced in the workplace that I haven't always experienced that. Uh, typically, you know, being kind of, you know, higher up and being one of very few or if not the only uh, person mm-hmm. that looks like me, it's challenging because it's hard to get people who don't look like you to advocate for you, to sponsor you in a way that people of your race would, would generally do. And so that's what's propelled me, uh, women who, uh, you know, were taking a risk on me and women who were opening doors for me. And me being humble enough to know, like, I, I don't have all the answers now and just being observant and being, you know, being uh, humble enough to understand that, you know, these people have paved the way and have a, and I have a higher level of respect for them that they don't have to open these doors. They don't have to reach back and help mentor me. And so that's important to me as a leader. And some of those challenges that you face is that, like I said, you know, when I was 11, I didn't understand like what it meant in terms of, you know, experiencing racism. But as I get older, like those blinders are off. And, you know, Nikki said it best in terms of, you know, this willful, willful oblivion that people have. It's like the, the older, more mature I get, the less naive I get to like call things for what they are. Like this is yeah. racism. And me experiencing that personally is just a couple examples. Uh, growing growing up in Michigan, I I uh, went to LSU after in terms of uh, my first school. I then transferred to Georgia Tech, and so Georgia Tech is you know revered as the Ivy League of the South. Yeah. And you know being in the workplace, and especially in Georgia, uh, the first in terms of uh, when I tell people like, yeah, well, what brought you down to Georgia? I went to school down here. I went to college. Oh, what college did you go to? Spelman, Clark? And they start naming all the black schools. And I'm like, no, I went to Georgia Tech, actually. Really? And like, they're surprised. And, I, and I'm like, should I feel offended? Like, why are you surprised that I went to Georgia Tech? And for me, it's also, you know, experiencing times where, you know, I was uh, invited to participate in a, in a video, in a skit. And when it came down to like my, my actor's name, you know, I was given a white woman's name <laughs> and I'm like, this is what I'm, I'm talking about. And it's subtle things like that, that maybe even people don't even always realize that it's racism. And I think it's important just like with you and, you know, writing a post and sharing a post and you, your, while your intentions were good. Right. There are just things that you may not understand that like, hey, this is a little bit insensitive or this may be offensive to people. And I do think like even as a black within the black community, that it's okay to go directly to people and say, hey, that offended me, you know, and hopefully they're receptive to hearing that, especially now more than ever. But I think that we have to help each other in this time. You know, I have to help you understand me. Yeah. You help me understand you, right? This is bi-directional. And I don't think that we should look, you know, forward and think like this is only one side. Now you just have to hear black stories. I want to hear your story. Yeah. Now, well, first of all, the lot of people coming in, and you can see some of the notes like Megan thing that Amen, this is an American history that pays attention to how everyone feels. Like Amber talking about, like, yes, that's what makes us human. Um, uh, at Trevona talking about like, yes, it's American history. I truly believe we have to be transparent. Most importantly, other races should educate themselves uh, about what has happened to our race historically, love from Persol. And I think this, uh, thank you Trevona for that comment, uh, because that is one thing that I learned last week. It is, it is not your responsibility because you're African-American to teach the world over and over again and saying, all right, you need to do that. It, it's like, it, it, that, that's what I'm looking, that's what my opening statement said, is allowing myself to learn 
and understand it is my job. So I've been watching documentaries. I've been like looking at some books. I'm reading articles. I'm reading articles on all sides to just educate myself. Not and 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 it's no longer an excuse to not know what's going on. You might uh, have a different opinion, and people, as you said, have all, they can have different opinions and different, but come to it with the same starting point as, as you said, or starting line around this thing. So uh, I mean, there's a lots of people who are talking about um, you coming in, uh, Letitia, uh, who runs marketing at Levicast, she's talking about, like, this is all about, again, fellow uh, humans. So again, tons of conversations coming in. One of the things that I wanted to ask Tanisha is how comfortable did you feel to bring these things up before now? And have you done that? If so, how was it received? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to say I didn't feel comfortable. I, you know, with with like past experiences or times that I felt like, you know, I wasn't being treated fairly or what I perceived as racism. You know, I, I've kind of thrown things out to leaders in the past and to try to explain to them, you know, hey, here are some challenges that I'm, I'm faced with, you know, just to help, you know, get their perspective. And I feel like those conversations have kind of been quickly shut down in the past or just kind of been disregarded as like, you know, as if the way that I perceive things like weren't truth. And it's challenging because, you know, I'm the highest, uh, well, I'm the most um, tenured person of color within my company, you know, aside from you, uh, that, you know, outside of, you know, the black community, as you as a leader, I think that that's important to, you know, have uh, the diversity that you bring to the table. But in terms of like African Americans, like there are no other leaders at my level or higher. And so when I'm challenged or with, uh, you know, things that I'm dealing with or coming in and thinking about the protest and, you know, the movement that has come along with George Floyd's uh, murder, I didn't have anyone to vent to. Like, I didn't have someone that I felt comfortable going to because everyone that I report to, you know, are white. And so how could I really go in and assume that like they're going to understand me. And I, I hear a lot of people, you know, use the word empathy and and the example of it's like empathy is, you know, walking in someone's shoes. I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that because like there's no way you can walk in my shoes. There's no way no. that you can get in your car and be a black woman driving, you know, to, to the store. Like yeah. there's no way you can do that. And I think that for me, empathy is like me telling you what these shoes feel like and you believe me. Yeah. And so it's it's challenging, like having conversations. And that's why it's important to have, you know, more diversity in the workplace so that there are p- people of all different races that feel like they have an outlet. They have some someone to look up to, someone that's paved the way for them, someone in a position that looks like them so that they know it's possible. Because when I see an executive leadership team or companies that have that lack diversity, I don't feel like those opportunities are possible for me. And that's a way, a reason why, you know, some companies have a hard time attracting diverse candidates because I don't want to go somewhere that I feel like I'm not going to, you know, have the same opportunities or I'm not going to be able to work my way up, uh, I, I'm not going to go into somewhere where I feel like I'm, I have a, a major disadvantage. I'm going to pursue companies that, you know, are open uh, to, you know, questioning their policies that are opening to more an inclusive, you know, workforce that's going to be a representation of everyone. Yeah. And, you know, what, what's interesting about this also, Tanisha, is that let, let's just talk about terminus for a second. We are based here in Atlanta. It's not like we need to look for diversity and try to go somewhere to bring in. Atlanta is a very diverse uh, city and there's a ton of talent. There are great schools over here. There are people from all over the place actually coming to Atlanta. So it's even, it should have been over even easier, but we were talking about it as, as an executive team and you ever shared something in the, in the all hands to the entire company about this is like, look, I mean, it, it's shame on us that we haven't made this a, priority 
for our organization, it is like any other business function that if it's not working, we need to look at it, bring outside experts, consultants to help support it, figure it out, uh, and, and really be intentional around it. But we haven't done it, and we had it in the back of the mind, and it's like as they go, but it's not, it's never has been intentional. At the same time, what's interesting is I'm an immigrant. I, I came to the States 15 years ago as truly believe, and I truly believe, and I know you believe that too, that this is truly the land of opportunity. If you have the will, if you put in your work, you put in everything you got, like the fact like someone like me could be a co-founder of a company that, that we're doing, I mean, it's, it's, it's an example, right? So, you know, it's, so I sometimes just completely walk past all of these things as if they don't exist and make myself invisible to all these all these things happening around me. And I wonder if you do that too, because you have been a very successful career. It's like, you know what? I know it's happening. I know it's there. I know in subtle ways it's happening, as you say, like with names and words and, and things and comments and actions. Um, but I'm just passing through these things because you know what? I'm just going to keep moving moving out. I, I wonder how, how you reconcile those two things. Um, for me, I, I'm pretty conscious in terms of understanding like where I am, how I've gotten to where I've gotten because I know that I didn't do it alone. Hmm. And for me, like I said, kind of growing up and I, I didn't come from generational wealth or a long line of uh, family members that had degrees on the wall, right? In a lot of ways, I was, you know, a maverick also within my family. And so for me, I don't take those things for granted, to be honest, because, you know, when I'm in a, a boardroom with leaders within my company and leaders that I, you know, greatly respect and admire. Uh, but when I'm in a boardroom with them and I'm at a table and there's all white men, like, and I'm the only black person or the woman in the room, like for some that may feel entitled or feel like, Hey, this is where they're supposed to be for me. Sometimes it feels surreal right. because I only wonder what my grandmother, who's a maid would think of me, wow. like helping drive and make business decisions for a multi-million dollar business. So I, when I'm sitting in the room, it's just a different level of humbleness and gratitude that I have, right? That I want to make sure that I help create additional opportunities for those to follow, you know, securing a better future for my four-year-old son. And that's important to me. And so I try to make sure that I, I self-check and I, I'm self-evaluating, making sure that I am fair. I do want to make sure that people on my team who are not Black don't feel excluded mm -hmm. and that they don't feel the same things that I felt because I know how it feels. And for me, you know, I had a, a pretty defining moment uh, last week as, you know, I was going into the weekend, preparing for the weekend. I had, I, I, I got a slack from uh, our CEO, Tim Cup, And so... He was, he asked me, he was like, can I get up for a few moments with you? And I was like, oh my goodness, what, what was this about? <laughs> so, it could be really bad or really good if you're getting Exactly. Like, okay. It's only one or the other, right? It's only one or the other. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I, I was like, you know, sure. And so um, I had no idea that he was going to talk to me about like, you know, what I was, I was, you know, dealing with and, you know, to talk about George Floyd and acknowledge that. Like, I, I didn't see that coming. Mm. And when, you know, he, uh, we got on our Zoom call and he's, he's just opened up and he said, I am so sorry for what that you could possibly be going through right now. I don't know how you're working. And saying, girl, when I tell you, like, I had this, mm. like, sense of relief, like, I couldn't breathe, <laughs> you know, going into the week and just not taking for granted, um, you know, that George life, George Floyd's life mattered. And that, you know, his, what his family may be dealing with, what could have been my own, very, you know, my own family. Um, for him to acknowledge that and for him to acknowledge and validate like any pain or injustice or unfairness that I may have experienced, you know, throughout my career. Or even he wanted to know if I had experienced it within Terminus. 
like that was the validation that I needed. That was the validation that so many others need just to acknowledge that, hey, I know that you probably experienced some pain and frustration, but I'm going to commit to a better future. And with any apology, like the best apology is change behavior. And so I'm, I'm going forward with the optimism and the hope that the path forward, that we're going to tear this down and we're going to rebuild it together. Yes. And that's what's important to me. And that's what I choose to focus on. I love that. So let's talk about path forward. Let's talk about recommendations. Let's talk about what needs to change for companies, for people. Um, so I know you have some thoughts and recommendations on it. So I'll let you rip. Uh, let that just go through it. Sure. So, you know, when I think of diversity and, and we, we have all these acronyms to it now, we've, I, I feel like we kind of desensitize ourselves to them. And now it's just DNI, right? It's no longer diversity inclusion. Or we words about, are heavy and meaningful and deep, but we don't, we don't, we probably no longer, okay, that's like, I'm not yeah. <laughs> There's this acronymization that like, let me just give it an acronym. And now instead of people of color, they're POCs and you feel like a thing now, you know, I think that we need to stay like along the course of understanding the importance and the value of those words and what they mean. And let's just question everything, right? Like when we think about, you know, our leadership teams, do we have the right people in place? Like, do we have, you know, diverse talent pools? Because as we think about diversity in the workplace and like why it's important, you know, it's important for people to know that like there are positions that people of color can, you know, have within our company. I think that when you bring in diverse leaders, you get an opportunity to tap into their diverse network and that's how you bring more diverse candidates into a company, right? And so there's a lot of value that comes there. There's a lot of, you know, dynamics that come into play as well when it's a different conversation if, you know, an entry-level employee, you know, has a conversation with you, I'm sure, Sangram, and they're, they're sharing their frustrations or, you know, you're hearing from one of your peers or constituents. I think there's a different conversation there in terms of, like the value and, you know, the weight that comes with someone who's experienced and being able to advocate and, and yeah. share like, hey, like they may have a, a different, you know, perspective or different view and they're able to com- maybe convey that in a different way that would help lead to action, that would help lead to decisions that, like I said, are a representation of everyone. And so uh, to me, like when companies you know, they, they share these uh, diversity inclusion numbers and metrics as if, you know, it should be a plaque on the wall. I think that it's important to know, like, do your, you know, people of color agree with those? Do they feel like it's Mm -hmm. that this company is diverse? I think that that should be the barometer, right? Not just a number, like, uh, as if that's our only way of measuring the success of diversity and inclusion programs. And for me, it's also about reaching back in terms of building stronger partnerships, you know, especially within the tech industry, yeah. that we can start engaging with diverse talent pools while they're in high school or they're in college. Because mm-hmm. I never heard, I told you this, I never heard the term STEM until I got to college. And like, you were like, wow, are you serious? Because like, you know, when you grow up in marginalized communities, you don't have access to the same resources. So you don't start at the same line. And so when I got to college, I felt like I was just catching up. I'm hearing words I was unfamiliar with, uh, you know, being exposed to occupations, you know, that I had never even thought of. So by chance, I landed and what I... Um, you know, feel like I was just kind of lucky in a sense where I landed into an industry and to a company like Terminus that, you know, have opened my eyes and allowed me to expand out my skill sets in ways that when I was in high school, like our vocational programs were nursing or cosmetology. 
And I just think that like I could have just been one program for from, you know, doing hair as a profession and, and not that that's not, you know, a respectable occupation. It's just that my path could have been much different. And yeah. so that's why it's important for companies, for leaders, you know, within our industry to help break down those barriers and help like, you know, kind of lead the way and partnering, like I said, with school or educational programs that maybe lack uh, the awareness uh, or maybe lack the, the resources that expose their students to, you know, careers in tech and careers like ours that, you know, that would allow them to, you know, like I said, like experience a whole new different world or be exposed in a way that they haven't. They haven't looked at it before. It, it's interesting. And I, I hear, like, first of all, I think this is something that you probably should read. I'm trying to bring, there are like so many comments going on right now um, that I'm like trying to figure out which comment do I bring in here? Which question? But this is probably one that you would probably appreciate the more where people are saying that your grandmother would be extremely proud of you, Denisha. Thank you. And and that's, uh, that's true. And a lot of other comments around, like, why why do we need to re-educate why we need to do this so as as when you're done with this Tanisha, it might be a good idea to come in and comment on those comments and more be more specific as people would people have like some little questions that i don't think we'll have full on time but if you have any questions that i can pull up please type in over there folks uh douglas and uh, everybody involved what can and this is one question that I'm, I'm asking everybody like what can people do within the work environment today that you would say, all right, yes, you need to have a DNI com- committee or external folks to help you figure out. You have almost every organization for the most part has this as a clear gap and it cannot be more obvious right now than ever before. So I can totally see almost every organization saying, immediately knee-jerk reaction we need this but you know in the next three months we gotta have this thing and and i love tim because tim is like you know what we're not going to do anything that for a week or two months we're going to look at this a year from now and we're going to say we did this and there would be a full-on thing that would have implemented and a process to go on he's not a knee-jerk so i I love i'm glad you brought up tim and that's what I, i like about tim as well but and i want to get into like very specific like all right here are the two or three things people could do as people are entering new workforces or people are trying to hire because I think you talked to you, you talked about with me on one of our calls, like, look, you're hiring is screwed up. Um, that's not how that there's no way we're hiring more diverse people if you don't do X, Y, and Z things. So like very specific things, if you can, around what can people do right now in work uh, at, at their work? Yeah, I know that's a good question. I think we can look at it from two different dimensions. So, you know, you have your leaders and then you have, you know, individual contributors. And so in terms of the leaders, I think that it's important and I don't see enough of it that we reach back and, you know, I help identify, you know, those diamond in the roughs or those high potential employees and pull them aside and help mentor them because in some ways, it, it's a little intimidating, you know, approaching a leader and not knowing like, hey, are they open to mentoring me or, you know, would they even be receptive to having a conversation? And so I think it's important for us to reach back and, you know, what's wrong with us, you know, starting those conversations with them, That's especially right. when you identify like things like a various of opportunity and you say, hey, that person, you know, definitely has a lot of potential and maybe there are some things that they have areas of opportunity. Let me pull them aside and just you know, tap them on the shoulder and let them know that and give them that feedback. I don't know that we do enough of that. Um, in terms of like being an individual contributor, I think that it starts off small, right? And it, it's the small things of expanding out your network and not just being siloed with and, and networking with people that look like you, right? I, I can honestly say, you know, I've, it's been very rare if, not many times ever that like I've been invited to happy hours or that I've been invited just for drinks outside of work or, um, you know, to, to lunch. It, mm-hmm. It's very, it's very uncommon. And so I think that it's important for us to start building together and just having 
dialogues and it doesn't have to be heavy. Just you start yeah. off and you have a conversation with a coworker that doesn't look like you, or you yeah. go sit down, you know, at the table with someone who doesn't look like you, you know, it just starts there. And, you know, in terms of like recruiting, when we think about like HR, right, 90% of companies like referrals are the largest source of, you know, new talent. Right. And when you think historically that, you know, the majority of co- uh, companies are, you know, made up of white people, like then if you look at the ones that they're typically referring, it's typically, typically people that look like them, like diversify your network. And I don't think that people can say it enough. And when you think about like how to do that, I'm sure you have a black neighbor, <laughs> you know, have you ever invited them to have dinner with you at your table? Mm. Have you ever, you know, had the conversation with them? And especially if you have kids, showing them how to foster and have healthy relationships with people that don't look like you, because that's, I feel like how those cycles continue to happen, right? Like you grow up, you never seen a black family at your kitchen table eating dinner with your family. So for you, that's normal. And I think that like, that's the path forward that we have to be intentional about it. We have to be uncomfortable and hopefully you know, my blackness doesn't make you uncomfortable, you know? And like that for me, that's important that, you know, I'm aware of that and I'm conscious of that to also extend out the offer myself, right? To look at people outside of my race. I, I, like I said, I think it's bi-directional and it's not one-sided and that we're going to have to do this together. And that that's what the path forward to me looks like. I love this. Tanisha, you poured your heart into this. And as I look at the idea that this is, and, and, and I think what's really amazing, what you brought to this conversation was, you did not make it about just black or African-American conversation. You said, this is American history. Mm-hmm. And this is our problem that we all need to own and solve. I love that. And because that itself is inclusive in nature. And when we talk about, it, we can't divide and include, be inclusive, we have to pull in and be inclusive. So I love that. I love what you mentioned mentioned about for people, like what, something that I put multiple asterisks around was mentorship. Like everyone right now listening to this, you have an opportunity to either mentor somebody or be mentored by somebody. So if you're young, go and look and ask for somebody to mentor you. Like, don't be shy about it. Go do that. Great. Like, I think I have like virtual mentors. I don't even meet them, but I follow them and I talk to them on online and all the kind of things. So you could do that or And so don't, don't stop yourself. I think right now it's more open to do those things than ever before. So don't limit yourself. And if you can mentor somebody, that's probably the greatest blessing that you're going to have as part of your career. So I love that. I love that uh, that you, you said you can you, you need to be uncomfortable and invite yourself to or invite others to some of these conversations because without conversations we'll have situations like George Floyd and then we are forced to have a conversation which is even more uncomfortable, unnerving, and sensitive and hard sometimes to go through and find solution because. It feels like we're just talking about this right now because it's the news. But what about every dinner conversation that you're having at your family dinner table? So we all need to change and change happens at dinner tables. I I strongly believe that like change happens when you're sitting with your family and who's sitting at your dinner table. So the fact that you brought that in as part of the closing thing, um, I really appreciate that and something that I uh, I plan to do myself more uh, often, haven't done much. So with that, Tanisha, Thank you so much for coming in and, and just being you. You're, you're a bright light out there. Thank you. I, you know, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I going into our, our initial conversation after your LinkedIn post, you know, you can hear that. You, you can hear <laughs> your, your exact emotion when you saw and you picked up the phone and called me, what was your exact emotion at that time? Yeah, so like I, Sangram M and I, we had the conversation before we started, and I told him candidly, I said I was angry at your post, and you know, I picked up the phone and I called Sangram, and I was just honest about it, and I told him how I felt and why I was offended by that post, and you know, 
Sangram, his response, it was very humble and he, he wanted to understand why. And so when I told him, like he believed me. And I think that that was kind of a, a, a defining moment that, you know, we're going to look at this 10 years from now and like, we'll never forget this, right? Where it's like, it was very important for me to know that like, you know, I was able to share how I felt and he received it and he apologized for it. And I walked away with a greater level of respect for him because he simply just said like, hey, I'm human, I didn't know. And I had to, you know, understand that, you know, we're, none of us are without flaws and that we're all entitled to mistakes and that we can't, you know, hold people to that or be beholden to that or not forgiving, right? Like we have to understand that just the same way that we want someone to forgive us, that we need to extend that as well. So I walked away with a deeper level of respect for you for that saying, and I appreciate how you took action after that. And you said, you know what? I think your story was powerful. I'm going to pass the mic to you. You know, Nikki, you know, shared her story and she shared her sentiments about it. And instead of you saying, you know what, I'm going to delete this post and you'll never hear about it again and silence her voice. You said, no, I'm going to share my mic. And that was powerful saying, it really was. And I hope you know, like the true gravity of that and understanding, like, you know, by allowing people to share their stories that, this is all, like I said, going to be the way forward and that we rebuild together. And, and that's what's most important. Yeah. Thank, and again, again, thank you for letting me share the mic is, is really the most important thing for me from this conversation, Tanisha. And, and tomorrow uh, we're going to have Morgan uh, Ingram. Uh, he has been on the show. And that's the fun part. Like, I think you and I, outside of you, and that's like the craziest part, Every one of the folks have been on the podcast before. Nikki has been, uh, Morgan has been, Morgan has been, I think, twice, and Kwame and Reggie. So none of these conversations are uh, are things that, but I've always talked from a one angle. I never talk about the whole self. So I'm, I'm actually getting re-energized knowing people at a much deeper level through these conversations and, and move forward. So Denisha, be the bright light you are and, and let your voice be heard uh, because it's a beautiful voice, a beautiful soul, and people need to hear that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank All you right. for inviting me. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for listening in, joining in. There's tons of comments. With, uh, Tanisha, I highly recommend you go take a look at this, this thing. Uh, it's, it's I will really for cool. sure go in and respond to every comment. So yeah. I appreciate uh, the, like the engagement, and I, I would definitely reach out to every single one. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, folks. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. with Morgan. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.